Welcome to the Eat Local Central New York podcast. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast here, wherever you're listening to it on. It just means so much that whatever you're doing, whether you're driving to work, going to the grocery store, uh, working out, taking your dog for a walk, that you would find the Eat Local CNY podcast and give it a listen. Really do appreciate you taking the time to sit down and go through it. Today's a little bit of a different episode because we are sitting down with a local owner of a cafe here in central New York. His name's Andrew Gracie, where he and his partner, Jamie, have the Greenhouse Brew. And you've heard me talk about him before. If you follow us on Instagram or Facebook, you saw that we put out a video here a couple weeks ago uh, just highlighting the Greenhouse Brew and what they're doing. And that's Andrew that's on the video. Uh, but for those of you who don't know, the Greenhouse Brew is a cafe uh, restaurant out in Sherrill, New York. And they're putting out just some amazing, high-quality food. Not only do they have uh, local coffee, they're offering Cafe Cabal Espresso out there, uh, but they're making a lot of stuff there on their own. They're doing these delicious artisanal breads. They're putting out some amazing baked goods. They're also, oddly enough, not only are they offering cold press, fresh cold-pressed juices uh, to purchase, but they're also making things like sauerkraut and kimchi and doing their own fresh ferments and dill pickle. It's just, it. The, the list goes on and on and on. If what I said just doesn't spark you enough to want to make the drive out to Cheryl, or maybe you live in the area and you're listening to this and you know exactly where they are, if you're in Syracuse checking out the podcast, do yourself a favor, take the day off and go out there. Uh, call in sick one day to work and drive out to Cheryl and spend a couple hours there. Or maybe just head out there on a Saturday morning. It's up to you. Either way... I strongly urge you to go out to the Greenhouse Brew in Cheryl, New York. I think it's an amazing place. It's such a beautiful, comfortable cafe, and they're doing things the right way by just putting in the effort and the time to make uh, this delicious food that you know you can't really go into hardly anywhere around central New York and find um, things like sauerkraut and these pickles and uh, kimchi and these cold-pressed juices and all these things that they are making themselves. That's the key, that they're making themselves. And so, uh, yeah, just a great place that deserves our, our money. Why is this episode so different today? Because Andrew is a professional cyclist. He has uh, won so many races and so many awards that it's not even funny. And I, I don't have the time to list all of them. Uh, and there's so many I don't even remember all of them. You can Google it and find out. But Andrew is a professional cyclist, does a lot of work on a fat bike. He's sponsored by this very high-quality bike manufacturer out of Rochester called Growler. He's just constantly getting uh, his name and their name out there by placing in all these races that he's participating in. And so I really thought it would be interesting to sit down and talk to Andrew about his history, about his experience on and off the bike. And so that's what we do in today's episode. I really hope you enjoy it. If you're not into cycling, uh, I, you know, I, you'll hear me talk a little bit about it. Uh, a couple of years ago, I thought I was going to, and I do this with a lot of things. I find one thing that I'm really interested in, and I go 150% into it, and I do that for maybe a few months, and then it kind of fizzles out. Uh, that's the reason why I have a $3,000 road bike sitting in my garage because <laughs> I wanted to do, I saw this documentary and watched it like four times and I wanted to participate in the Trans America or Trans Am bike race. 
that goes from Astoria, Oregon, across the country to Yorktown, Virginia. It's 100% self-supported, meaning you pack whatever you can on your bike and you head out. And it's a road race. There's a lot of interesting rules to this race where every racer uh, has to get the same level of support. So you can't have like family fly ahead and meet you and give you things that are going to help you or give you an advantage. Um, but, you know, so it's just this amazing race. It's this really cool experience I just thought would be so much fun to participate in one day. And so I had gone out two years ago to uh, the bike loft here in town in North Syracuse, Did a, bought a lot of stuff over at Syracuse Bike. They hooked me up and got in some uh, amazing uh, uh, frame bags for me that I wanted from this company over in the UK. And anyways, I just went out and spent all this money on this stuff. And I think the longest ride I ever did in that probably solid year of me riding my bike around was uh, a hundred mile trek up to uh, a Bay where I got up there and then promptly rented a car and put the bike in the back and drove back home to Syracuse. So, <laughs> and it kind of fizzled from there. I'm getting way too much into the story, but uh, I haven't touched that bike very much since that since that day. So, having said all of that, I just find it really interesting. Somebody who can um, put in the time and the dedication into honing a skill, into perfecting a skill, whatever that may be. And Andrew is one of those people. So I just think it's it's very interesting to sit down and talk to him and, and hear his story. I hope you enjoy the podcast. It is different. Um, so this week, we're sitting down with Andrew Gracie. Don't forget that we have this awesome contest. I think it's awesome. I think it's the best contest I've done ever at Eat Local Central New York. And I'm giving somebody $600 worth of gift cards to 30 different locally owned restaurants. So here's how it works. When you go to eatlocalcny.com and purchase your Eat Local CNY card for $20, you automatically get entered in to win this contest. And on May 1st, I'm going to throw everybody's name into this random computer software program that randomly picks one person's name, and that person's going to win this amazing prize. Uh, for each Eat Local CNY card you purchase is one entry. So if you buy 50 cards, you get 50 entries. Uh, buy however many cards you want to, but the point is, that the contest ends in the end of April. It goes through April. That's You have the whole rest of this month to go on to eatlocalcmy.com and purchase your Eat Local CMY card, and then you're entered to win. And May 1st, we're going to announce that winner and get them those gift cards. I call it dinner for a month because it's 30 different restaurants. So you could go out to dinner uh, one night for an entire month, have a $20 gift card, not have to pay for dinner. I just think it's a cool little project that we're doing, cool little uh you know, fun contest because I love giving things away. So I think it's fun. So head over to eatlocalcny.com and purchase your Eat Local CMY card. And if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know what that is, it's a reusable coupon for over 90 locally owned restaurants where anytime you go out to eat and spend $25 or more, you're going to save $5 off of your bill. So that's the Eat Local CMY card. That's the contest. That's the introduction. You heard about my story about buying a bike and not getting very far on it. So now, without further ado, here's today's podcast with myself and Andrew Gracie.
you know, we met obviously just through Cafe Kubal and stopping out here at, you know, the Greenhouse Brew. And I remember the first time that I came out here when I was brought out like some of the samples that you had a cycling jersey on and i the only know it wasn't even like a cycling jersey but i had just spotted it because you had the sleeve in the back for the water bottle and that was like the dead giveaway <laughs> yeah guilty as charged there definitely a lifelong cyclist and i think most of my wardrobe are either old jerseys or t-shirts that i got from races or something i've read your bio a little bit but tell me how did you first get into cycling as a sport, like as as racing, as competing? Yeah, it's kind of funny because I was just talking to my parents um, just a couple days ago now, and they reminded me uh, when I was a, just a little guy, like a couple years old, I had a tricycle like most kids, and my mom worked about a mile from the house. And uh, as a two-year-old, I'd put in two miles a day, so I was putting in my 10 miles of training rides a week. I'd... <laughs> Ride a mile up the sidewalk to work and then a mile back home. Um, I've I've just always ridden. Yeah. Uh, I imagine I probably always will. Yeah. Did you? Where did you grow up at? So I was born out in western New York and Medina, New York. Okay, yeah. Um, Dad was a farm chemical researcher, and we had a little bit of a switch up there to Lambertville, New Jersey for a few years, and then ultimately made our way back when I was, uh, oh, I don't know, in the first grade or something like that we made our way back to the place that'll always be home to me which is the southwest adirondacks i grew up in the town of greg um right on the right on the edge of the southwest adirondack line in the park okay and uh you know was there until uh went off for college but that'll yeah. always be home that's a pretty amazing part of the part of the state and part of the country yeah so do you think and how, well, how old were you how old were you when you moved there I was in first grade. Okay, so pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, in the area growing up, uh, what is there to do, I mean, besides kind of hike and get into some of you know, these outdoor sports? Yeah. Uh, you know, the industry up there at that time was primarily, um, you know, dairy farms, of course, and the pulp and paper industry was still plenty healthy. Mm -hmm. um, Lewis County is the maple sugar capital of the universe. Yeah. Um, and as far as what a kids do, well, you know, kids do every form of manual labor and work on farms. And if you don't have a car to get to the farm, you ride your bike there. And, uh, you know, you tap the trees when it's time for that and you cut the firewood when it's time for that. And in between tapping trees and cutting firewood and putting up hay, you, you ride bikes a lot and you hike a lot and you ski a lot. And yeah. So it's pretty much ingrained in you. Not, I mean, more than likely not even from choice. It's just kind of the way of life. Yeah, it was for me anyway. Yeah, it was a pretty amazing way to grow up, and I'll always be thankful for it. Yeah. So, I mean, you're, you know, southern portion of the Adirondacks growing up, obviously working and getting into these sports. When is it that you kind of make that determination that you want to race? Or, like, uh, what age did you do your first race? Yeah, um, I was probably 14 or 15, and... At the time, the mountain bike scene in America was really, really healthy. It was very vital. And um, What year is that? Well, the early to mid-90s. Okay. Uh, I've been around quite a while. I'm kind of an old goat now. <laughs> but um, I think the first 
race that I did was uh, was an off-road duathlon, and uh, it was up maybe in Southwick Beach or Henderson Harbor, mm-hmm. up in uh, kind of the northern side of New York in some form or another. And, uh, you know, I did fairly well that day, and I said, huh, you know, I, I guess all that pedaling around to these various jobs is, has paid off a little bit. And I had a lot of fun that day too. And, mm-hmm. um, decided at that point that I'd like to maybe run a little less and ride a whole lot more mm-hmm. and, uh, started racing as a junior on the Norba circuit. That was the national off-road bicycle association. That's, uh, it's no longer, but it was a pretty fantastic regional and national scene for mountain bike racing at that time. Um, so I raced pretty hard through, uh, you know, sophomore and junior and senior years of high school. Um, a lot of racing, a lot of training, a lot of fun. I definitely burned up countless tires and <laughs> a lot of brake pads and stretched a lot of chains um, all over the Adirondacks. Yeah. What's more, I don't know if there is one, but is there? Is it more popular in like that area to be on a mountain bike or on a road bike? So the only road bike I ever saw growing up, um, a real good friend of mine, uh, they were, the other thing we had going for us up there was uh, some really good alpine ski racing. Um, okay. We grew up pretty much at the foot of uh, Snow Ridge, which might be a little mountain, but it's developed big talent over the years. We've um, had a lot of a lot of folks go D1. We've had some folks on you know Olympic development teams. We've had some folks end up uh, racing mm-hmm. on the Europa Cup and pro even. Yeah. And uh, one of my best friends growing up, um, his sister who by that point was on the pro circuit, sent him this beat-up old hand-built Italian road bike that was way too small, and we <laughs> couldn't figure out what to do with this thing, and none of us fit on it. You try to go for a ride, and your back would start aching so bad you didn't make it far. So we we kind of just dismissed the whole road bike thing. You know, just yeah. We figured they must all be real small and make your back hurt. We didn't know. <laughs> um, so pretty much everybody, if you had something to roll on, you were rolling on knobbies. Yeah, okay. You know, I mean, I, I, I grew up in Kentucky and then here in Syracuse and cycling was never really kind of a big thing. Uh, I was telling you earlier this morning when I decided I watched the movie, um, or the documentary, oh geez, uh, inspired to ride. And, and I watched that maybe five years ago and then watched it again three years ago and decided I wanted to start riding a bike and for exercise and not knowing any better, I went to Walmart and bought, you know, a uh, mongoose mountain bike and just started riding it on the streets around downtown Syracuse. So, you know, definitely not the uh, the best uh, instrument for trying to get around downtown Syracuse. But like the big thing there is you got out the door, though, and that's what really counts. And that's yeah. where it starts for all of us. Yeah. You know, the first real, if you could call it that, mountain bike I bought, and I actually still have it is uh 1989 and uh when i bought it it was it was quite used and uh of debatable origin you know i bought it from a (laughs) i had to drive into the big city of utica which was quite a trek for a kid from greg new york and uh i found out that this guy in this real shady part of town had this rather nice uh 1989 cannondale m500 Mm. and it was good and whipped wow and uh 150 bucks Wow. Had to put up a lot of hay to make 150 bucks, <laughs> yeah. but I bought that bike and I rode the devil right out of it and uh hmm. 
that led to uh, a little bit of a support in um, my second year racing as a junior with um, Team Pedros. They were putting up junior development teams at that time, and mm-hmm. with that extra support, uh, I got onto a different kind of bike that actually fit, and mm-hmm. I was able to keep riding and training and racing and uh, had a couple of strong seasons with them as a junior as a junior racer, so okay. uh, under the age of 19. Under the age of um, 19, okay. But those were my junior and senior years in high school, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you get into racing, you kind of get the bug for it. And, I mean, you know, you graduate high school, what's the next step from there in your, well, I guess education? I, you know, from what I know, you've got, you wound up going to school to be a, correct me if I'm wrong, physical therapist? No, that's correct. Um the whole picking a college and deciding whether or not you even go to college and all that kind of stuff, those are tough decisions. I've always said that it's one of the most impactful decisions a person has to make at the most irrational time in their <laughs> life they could be asked to make that choice. Yeah. Uh, and I struggled with it. I really would have liked to have continued um, racing bikes through college. Mm-hmm. Uh, there really weren't any programs in New York State at the time you know, any, any, um, schools that were physical therapy schools as well as places that I could continue to race. Mm. Um, so based on, you know, affordability, feasibility and things like that, I didn't, you know, I really needed to stay in state for my education, which Mm -hmm. I did. Um, I raced just a little bit in college, um, but not at the same level. Mm-hmm. and uh, really took some time off just to focus on on college and on working all the part-time jobs that a country kid needs to work to, to stay in college. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as you're saying that, I'm thinking to myself, where is, I mean, you're, you know, you're primarily racing a fat bike, correct? These days that is true. Okay. Uh, I'll jump into the odd road race because I think that's fun. Yeah. Um, I like racing cyclocross. I've got a cross bike, but be honest with you that's more like a swiss army knife bike for me that's the bike i go to when i just want to want to do something a little different and maybe it's too messy for the road but i don't feel like another uh another fat bike kind of a ride yeah but yeah i I pretty much live on my fat bike so what area of the country or maybe even the world is like the place for fat bike racing well, as far as fat bike racing goes, I can honestly say that the the scene in the Northeast here is is relatively strong. You've mm-hmm. got some pretty good events that have come up in the last few years. Some some big, strong, deep fields. Um, the Midwest certainly has a pretty healthy scene yeah. for fat biking as well. Mm. Um, outside of that, you do have your little pockets here and there. Yeah, but pretty much. I mean, for a fat bike, you're kind of looking for that uh, woodsy kind of terrain, correct? Yeah, as a discipline, fat bike racing, you know, the specific fat bike racing discipline, uh, it's you know, it's primarily a a winter discipline. We're racing on snow mm-hmm. and uh, in all conditions, in all temperatures, and overall terrain. But it certainly would consider it an off-road discipline. Yeah. Um, yeah, I continue to race the fat bike through the rest of the season, though. Um, there's a lot of the mountain bike season that will incorporate a fat bike class into that race. And if there's not a fat bike class, uh, I'll generally, I'm old enough, uh, believe it or not, I'm old enough to race masters nowadays. So I'll generally jump into the masters race on a fat bike, and I've been fortunate to fare pretty well there. Yeah. 
Uh, tell me, you know, I'm not as familiar with the racing, so tell me, like, the classification of, like, the master, you know, class like you're talking about. Just an age group. Okay. An age category. Gotcha. Um, you know, typically, it's going to start over the age of 40. Okay. Um, it's often the case that I'm lining up with kids that, uh, i I'll be honest with you, I've got some bike shorts that are older than some of these kids. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Um, and that's okay. I'm, I'm happy to, I'm happy to see the, the, the youth and the energy and the excitement and the talent out there. Yeah. Some of these kids are pretty fast and, uh, you know, I'd like to think that they give me a good run for my money and I know I give them a run for their money. So it's, <laughs> it's all good sport. Yeah. So, you know, you're in college, you're going to school for, 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 uh, physical therapy, doing some racing here and there when you can. What happens after that? I mean, when do you get out of college and then get back into kind of the racing scene? Yeah, so after I finished grad school, um, I was pretty much off the bike and was just working hard and uh, you know, trying to get trying to get life started up, trying to get established. Mm-hmm. And that resulted in a really extended layoff from a competitive cycling for me. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, probably 15 years okay. um, from that last race until I lined up again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was still on a bike recreationally or for fitness, but it was uh, definitely a change of pace from the training and the traveling and the racing I'd been doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm, at this point in my life, Although I I do wish I could maybe have a few of those years back to see what they would have looked like or what I might have done during that time. I'm also thankful for the opportunity that those years gave me to um, come back at it now some years later with uh, a level of energy and enthusiasm that... uh, you know, I had in my late teenage years. It's kind of like I get a, a whole new fresh shot at it, and I'm thankful for that. Yeah, that's awesome. So, I mean, you know, what's the what's the difference in the mindset for you when you're on a bike for, from that recreational kind of staying on it for fitness and, you know, just to kind of have fun versus lining up for a race? Yeah, I'm not sure how to how to best answer <laughs> that. It's a... Uh, you know, it's a, it's a whole different ball game. Um, I love them both equally and, mm-hmm. and uh, certainly appreciate the opportunity to be on a bike anytime, anywhere that I can, mm-hmm. um, you know, recreationally or just for fitness. It gives me a chance to maybe get some other people in, get some other people excited and involved, get some, some folks started up, whether that's my three kids or whether that's uh, friends or friends of friends or, you know, whoever. Yeah. Um, you know, when it comes time to line up though, um, especially at this point in my racing career, you know, I, I don't just show up somewhere. There's a lot of, a lot of thought and a lot of, uh, careful consideration and preparation, mm-hmm. um, to bring me to, uh, that starting gun. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of planning and a lot of hard work and, you know, blood, sweat, tears, mud and gears. Yeah. You know, I I don't know, um, even, even if I get into the best shape one day, I don't think I could ever do competitions with cycling or, or arguably anything in that regard, just because I find that I don't have the 
kind of uh, mental awareness to <laughs> moderate myself on a bike. When I, if I go out to, you know, I'm in Syracuse. So if I go out to the parkway and I'm on that trail and I'll, you know, sometimes I'll go up and go up and back three or four times and try and get in a, a good, like 30, 40 miles on there. If I'm not going to get up really early and go on the road itself, but even somebody walking, if they're ahead of me on the bike, I'm, you know, I'm on my bicycle, on my uh, road bike and they're on feet walking. I'm still thinking to myself, I have to beat them. I have to get past them. <laughs> and then one day I went out and there's this, these famous hills. <clears throat> I woke up one early, very early morning and rode my bike from where I live in the city out to Camillus to the in-between and then back. And, you know, it's maybe 25, 30 miles and. I did that, and there's these famous hills on Route 5 as you're coming kind of into the village of Camillus that drop down and then come back up and just monster hills. And so I'm going up that towards the end of my uh, little ride, and I'm struggling, struggling, struggling. (laughs) And all of a sudden, I hear this gear shift behind me, and this dude just comes flying up past me. (laughs) You know, I'm just sitting there struggling along, and he's just cruising by me. So... I don't know if I could ever get into the racing portion of it. Um, I think it takes somebody who has as much physical, and I'm sure you'll agree, as much physical toughness and preparation as it does that mental toughness and preparation to kind of stay on your bike and stay in your spot when you're in a race. Yeah, I was just talking about this um, yesterday. At this point, I am as fit and strong and fast as I've probably ever been in my life. coming out of a long winter of training really hard and uh, I'm looking at some you know committing to uh, some of these bigger races in the next couple of months Mm -hmm. and looking back and realizing that I'm on a five-month layoff Uh, (laughs) I I haven't lined up in five months Uh Um, there's a lot of you know personal and professional reasons for that it's given me an opportunity to focus on what we're doing here at the greenhouse brew you know our new business um focus on the kids and on family and uh you know as strong as you are as healthy or as fit as you are that mental piece is absolutely huge um you talk about racing yourself into shape um at this point i feel like you know these first uh these first few races out this season i'm gonna have to race myself into shape not physically but you know definitely just mentally and just remembering um how much you can hurt and how long you can hurt for and still, still be okay. Hmm. Um, you know, there's just nothing like that race environment. You'll never dig that deep in a training ride. You'll never ride that fast. And uh, the only way to, uh, remind yourself of what you're capable of is to, to line up with some frequency. So, Hmm. you know, a little bit of trepidation perhaps coming into, uh, gravel grinder season. It's a, it's a really challenging discipline and, uh, I'm looking forward to it, but I know the first couple are going to hurt. Yeah. How do you, I mean, how have you noticed in just your day-to-day life, work life, personal life, whatever it is, how do you see the same effect of like kind of that grind and that push that you have from racing? You mean, does the training and preparation wear you down in your personal life? Well, that's actually a good question, but, uh, you know, I'm thinking more, you find yourself taking more. Uh, I don't want to say risks, but do you find yourself stepping out more in like different areas off the bike because you're pushing so hard? Because like you're saying, when you're in 
when you're in that race, you're never going to push yourself as hard as in a training run as you will in a race. Right. So how does like, have you ever noticed or how does it like that kind of race mentality carry over in other areas? If we could all carry that over into the other aspects of our personal life and our professional life, it would either be incredibly successful or, <laughs> or <laughs> tragically dam- damaging. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure which. Um, so <laughs> there's probably areas where you do push a little harder, you do take those risks. And there's probably areas where you say, you know, figuratively speaking, man, I really don't want to crash. I better, I better back it <laughs> off a touch. Um, I think it, I think that the, uh, the mindset and the approach, the methodology that goes into preparing for and then participating in racing at a, at a pretty decent level, um, it makes you pretty, pretty rugged, pretty tough. Mm. Uh, not only physically, but, you know, perhaps emotionally. And, you know, maybe there is a little bit of uh, a willingness to just to reach a little bit, stretch a little bit, take a chance. Yeah. And, uh, you know, <laughs> you hope you don't crash too hard. <laughs> so tell me, I mean, I think everybody uh, that'll be listening to this that isn't familiar with cycling or especially isn't familiar with you know, maybe fat bike racing or mountain bike or anything like that. They're, everybody's familiar with, you know, road racing, right? Everybody knows the tour de France and everything like that. Is there a, what, what's the equivalent within like, whether it's just off-road in general or cross or fat biking? I mean, what's the equivalent to something of that level for road cycling? Uh, So there's national championships, um, for all major cycling disciplines. Um, there's world championships for all major cycling disciplines. You know, the Tour de France, that's the big show, always has been, always will be. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty hard to find a specific parallel for the Tour um, with any of the off-road disciplines. Yeah. Um, but, you know, certainly we've got extremely elite and professional-level athletes competing in the off-road disciplines at the national and international levels. Yeah. What's the... I don't, have you ever done any uh, road racing? I have a bit. It's uh, it's kind of what you do when you don't know what else to do. For me, <laughs> it's not my preference. Um, what do you find is the biggest is the strongest difference between a road race and a fat bike or cross race? Well, you know, w- with road racing, you've got different kinds of races too. You've got you know crit races and circuit races, and you've got uh, you're more the the typical type of, uh, you know, one day road race that people think about. And then you've mm-hmm. got your stage races, you know, multiple day stage races. And, uh, they're all, you know, a little bit different inherently, but as far as what does it take to be successful? I can honestly say I'm not the most successful racer on the road, so I don't know what it takes to be successful there. I know that the way that it feels when you line up the excitement and, um, you know, what you, how how hard you're willing to push yourself on on race day is the same uh, mm-hmm. from any discipline, regardless of the bike, regardless of the race. Yeah. You know, there's a um, you know you talking about kind of the preparation of gearing up for a race and you know that determination and training you have to go through. There's a woman by the name of Lael Wilcox, who she's from Alaska, but she's uh, I mean her entire life is cycling. I think she's sponsored by Specialized now, 
Um, but anyways, she's from Alaska and she just does these crazy cross continent country races and to prepare for them, she rides the equivalent distance. Uh, she has some story of, I think it was for, uh, the transcontinental bike or was it the trans that wasn't the transcontinental. What's the race, the mountain bike race that goes from Canada, Banff, Canada down to the border of Mexico. Oh, that's going to drive me crazy. Yeah, it'll come to you, but... Yeah, whatever that is. For her to prepare for that, she rode from Alaska, from Anchorage, over to the border to Banff, Canada, to prepare for this race. You know, I mean, she's on her bike just riding cross countries all over the place. Yeah, she's definitely a notable character in the cycling world right now. Yeah. Um, she's arguably the greatest ultra, ultra, ultra <laughs> endurance rider, male or female, yeah. that the country has ever developed and arguably the world. Uh, yeah. She's a phenom for certain. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that you know she approaches preparation, it, orthodox, unorthodox, I mean, who's to say the, the fact is she's been quite successful, so I'd yeah. <laughs> say keep it up. Yeah. Do you have a specific routine, like if you're preparing for a race, do you have like specific things that you have to do in certain times, or for you, is it just making sure you're on the bike, putting the time in? Uh, it depends on the time of year and the time of season. You know, you can't hold peak form 365 days a year the body just won't allow for it so you've got to really think about you know what am I going to focus on and uh, when is that and Mm -hmm. how many months away is that or how many weeks away is that and then uh, work with your training variables to best allow your body the ability to to really peak um, Mm -hmm. to be ready when it's go time yeah so the preparation is it's not a static thing it's not like there's you know a monday workout and a tuesday workout and a wednesday workout or whatever it's um Mm -hmm. constantly being adjusted not just in response to how far out from an event you are or what kind of an event it is that you're trying to train for but also in response to the day-to-day nuances of your own physiology and how you're doing yeah do you find yourself getting ready for peak like you know like you can plan on when your body's going to be in peak performance or is it just kind of like it happens and then you're there? No, you, <laughs> you hope that it's a bit more methodical than, <laughs> than that. Um, you know, you, you sort of pick that window of time when you just want to be flying mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, quite a few months back from that, you start making the adjustments that you feel like you need to make to bring yourself there. Yeah. You know, starting initially with, uh, you know, laying in, you know, the aerobic base and, um, you know, maybe, maybe there were some deficiencies that needed to be addressed. Maybe you realize there were some weaknesses you really needed to get a hold of working on that stuff. And then as you come closer and closer to the event, starting to manipulate some of those training variables and working on, you know, your speed, you know, working on your ability to recover. Mm-hmm. And then as you get closer and closer, maybe you've got to taper it down a little bit more. Uh, you've got to keep working on that recovery, keep working on that speed, but fine tune those skills, fine tune, you know, the handling and things like that. Don't let the base fade though. You got to keep working that base, you know, make sure that you've got, um, the, the reserves that you need to come through races that can be, you know, pretty grueling and, and quite lengthy. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about your decision to partner with Growler. I mean, you're sponsored by them, correct? 
Yeah, that's the case. Yeah, and I'm always intrigued by a cyclist's choosing of their of the bike that they're going to ride. You know, what was it that kind of connected you with Growler or made you choose that that bike of out of everybody that manufactures them? Sure. So, you know, after my layoff, um, I decided it was just, it was time to start racing again. And, uh, so I started racing, um, cyclocross, you know, three, four years ago, mainly because there's a real hotbed of cyclocross here in the Northeast, but especially in the central New York area, there's just a ton of opportunities and I said, man, this is great. You know, I can I can race a lot. I can have a lot of fun. I don't have to travel that much. This is a really affordable way for me to get back into racing. You know, and I knew that I was going to eventually head back into the mountain bike stuff that I love and transition more into some of the long haul and the endurance events and that kind of stuff. But, you know, cross was just an absolute blast. And um, one of the things that's unique about cyclocross is – there's there's often the case that you can pick up a couple races in in the same day mm. um mm. and uh one of the categories that the cny cross series was offering was a fat bike category so you know you could race like your your age category race or your you know your cat race or whatever and then uh you know pick up a second race just because you felt like it. Like, man mm. this is awesome um nice guy to get a fat bike so I made a couple calls and called in a couple of favors from folks that I still knew and got myself on a fat bike. And it was like, you know, kind of an entry level type of a fat bike, but it was, it was really heavy and mm. it's really durable though. And, um, I just, I rode it a lot and I was having a lot of fun and cross season was over and, uh, I've got this fat bike. I'm like, all right, cool. I can ride all winter. That was kind of the whole plan. Mm. So I'm riding this thing and some races start popping up. I jumped into some races, uh, had some solid results. Um, we came into the spring. It was gravel grinder season. Like, oh, what awesome. They've got a fat bike category. <laughs> so, you know, had a couple of good races there and, uh, you know, some wins here and there and that kind of stuff. And uh, thought to myself, well, this bike's cool and everything, but it'd be nice to have a nicer bike. Maybe I should make a few more phone calls, see if I can call in some more old favors and got a little bit of a race resume now after 15 16 years off let's see let's see who i can reach out (laughs) to and who i can work with it was just by happenstance that um you know growler performance bikes based out of rochester new york they were kind of coming onto the scene i'd seen a couple of their bikes um i chatted with some of their some of their uh, owners and partners and uh we just kind of hit it off and um I like their bikes, and I like the guys. Um, so we started talking about the possibility of working together. Um, a few months after that, you know, we both made a decision to move ahead with that partnership, and I've been racing for them since. Uh, this will be my third season racing a Growler. Oh, wow. And um, in that time, there's been a, a heck of a lot of races, a whole bunch of uh, events that, um, you know, some key wins that I was thankful for and and and, you know and proud of you know i felt like i'd done right by myself done right by growler Hmm. and uh looking ahead hope to do a lot more of that yeah i think it's really amazing that we have a company that's so close to syracuse so close to you know where we are here in cheryl that uh not only is building such a great bike but that 
you know, like their name suggests, you know, I was uh, going through the company and who they are. And I just really love their approach to Growler and their connection to kind of the craft beer industry and just this small company that's focusing on putting out a limited number of bikes, but that are higher quality. Um, and I think the reputation kind of stands for itself in terms of the quality of bike that they're building, especially for somebody like you that's out there professionally racing it throughout the year. Yeah, they've worked really hard and in their own way have been very innovative. Um, you know, the original thought with Growler was kind of a Henry Ford approach. Um, you know, you can have any bike you want as long as it's black. And <laughs> by doing so, you know, you'll have a, a nicer bike, a much nicer bike at a better price point than anybody else can get. You'll also have a level of responsiveness and actual connection with the with the company mm -hmm. and then you could get anywhere else in the industry um very shortly after that uh Wheelow glenn he's the president and kind of the visionary behind the company um he, he's he's really good at being responsive to what his customers tell him and he said to himself this is working and it's working great you know i've kind of turned the entire industry model on its head i'm doing things completely upside down and i can't keep up with orders so i'm on to something here hmm. But he decided that the bigger opportunity would be to offer people kind of a penultimate level of uh, customization options mm -hmm. so that every single bike is is unique from the last bike in terms of, uh, you name it. I mean, this guy's the limit. It's it's truly an a la carte approach to a, a really high-end bike yeah. at a at a different price point than you'd get from any of the, uh, you know, kind of the major players in the market that you think of. Yeah. So let's shift gears just a little bit and talk about, uh, where we're sitting right now, which is inside the greenhouse brew, right? It's, uh, this cafe, uh, bakery coffee shop that, uh, you know, you've opened here in Cheryl, New York. What's the, I mean, for those of you who haven't been here, when you come in, first of all, you have this great, comfortable atmosphere, but you also have these foods and drinks that you typically would not find at, especially in such a place like this, uh, in any cafe. So you know, can you tell me a little bit uh, about kind of your approach and your own dietary habits and you know your own nutrition, kind of how you bring those different things in here to the cafe? Sure. So... The idea here was just to try to offer folks um, an alternative, an alternative, you know, and some options and some much needed options that were just entirely absent from from this area. Um, you know, we definitely are trying hard to offer cleaner food options, but not just in the the real mundane clean food sense, but in a, kind of an interesting, fun, eclectic way and doing a lot of, as you point out, some artisanal ferments here, you know, making our own sauerkraut and our own kimchi and our own, you know, dilly carrots and all that kind of stuff. And on an, on a weekly basis, you know, um, you come into the shop and you're going to smell fresh rounds of artisanal sourdough that I've turned out or country wheats or honey wheats or nice breads or what have you. And it was never a matter of, um, gee, what do we think we can sell here? Mm-hmm. It wasn't even so much a matter of, huh, is there a vacuum in the offerings available in this area? Let's do that. It yeah. was much more a matter of, you know, who are we as people and what are we into and what do we think we can do well? What do we think we can do better than a lot of other folks? 
and uh, and just offering that and just allowing this space to be a, a natural extension of who we are personally and you know as you point out also in our personal lives uh jamie and i both keep a, a plant-based diet um that's not to say that folks can't find uh you know meat on the menu meats on the menu but we uh extend a, a warm hand to folks from all practices preferences and dietary needs um, whether they happen to be plant-based like us or uh, whether they happen to require gluten-free options or whether they just want to come in for some old standards you know we've got that covered too yeah is there a specific i mean i know that you're both of you are plant-based in your diets but there are specific things that um specific choices you've made in like your diet as a you know professional cyclist that kind of spurred the reason why you have those things on the menu here well, it's kind of one of those what came first, the chicken or the egg questions, I guess. Um, I I sincerely believe that um, the success that I've had athletically and the, the success that Jamie has had athletically has been made possible through, uh, you know, clean health style, clean living and a healthy lifestyle and a clean diet. And, um, you know, to train at the levels that we train at to compete at the levels that we compete at. We, we do have to pay attention and make sure that we're providing our bodies with what they need for fuel and for recovery. And, um, you know, we both are able to do that in a plant-based way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, definitely don't go missing for anything. We don't <laughs> feel that we're, we're missing out or lacking anything. Um, I think we both arrived where we arrived with those decisions, you know, for, for different reasons, but kind of landed in a similar place. Mm-hmm. And, um, a lot of customers come in and they want to, they want to chat with us about that, or they're curious about that, or they're having some challenges in their own practices or preferences or even health wise. You know, it's a pretty regular occurrence that people come in and they want to talk to us about blood pressure high cholesterol or Hmm. they're concerned about some digestive challenges or disorders they may be experiencing or you know they're they're a little sick or you know whatever the case may be and we really look at that as an opportunity to not just send another cinnamon bun across the counter and give them a cup of drip coffee we look at that as an opportunity to have a discussion with that person as another person and uh, see if there's some support that we can offer and um, you know, it's, uh, it's getting around, you know, mm-hmm. people are understanding that we're doing something different here and, uh, that yeah. there's a, a level of knowledge and, uh, kind of a consultative approach that we're really happy to share. Yeah. So tell me just quickly, I've got two more questions for you, but one is if there's any advice or any one thing that you think somebody getting into competitive cycling whatever style it is, what's that one thing that you think they should know? If you don't absolutely love it, if you are not in love with being on that bike, it's not going to work. If you can't wake up and be excited about the next chance you're going to have to just rip yourself apart on a ride somewhere, it's not going to work. If you don't have a passion for it, and it's not ingrained, you know, if you weren't that two-year-old 
putting in 10 trainer miles a week on a tricycle that grew up to someday, you know, be fortunate enough to race some bikes. Um, it, you know, that's the thing I realize is at every point in my life, I've just always loved bikes. I've always loved riding a bike. It's always the thing that I could go back to that helped me feel grounded and helped me feel like me. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't love it, it's not going to work. You can't, you can't fake it until you make it. Yeah. It's just who you are. Yeah. All right. And my next question is, uh, if you could have dinner with anyone throughout history, uh, living or deceased, who would that be? <laughs> you know, I don't think anybody's ever asked me that question before. <laughs> you want to give like this deep philosophical answer to a question <laughs> like that, because it's just so telling and revealing of who you are as a person or something <laughs> like that. I honestly don't know. And I just might have to get back to you. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, Andrew, thanks so much for taking the time today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Hey, thank you so much for checking it out. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation between myself and Andrew Gracie of the Greenhouse Brew out in Cheryl, New York. If you did, do me a favor, hit that subscribe button. You do not want to miss the amazing episodes that we have coming up. We're sitting down with some local legends in the culinary industry here in central New York, and you do not want to miss them. So hit that subscribe button and make sure that you get updated every time we launch a new episode. Do me a favor, leave me a review and let me know what you think of the podcast. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you don't already, head over to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and follow us at EatLocalCNY or online at EatLocalCNY.com. Thank you so much. I'm going to catch you at the next episode.